0: Always looking for that blessed hope second Thessalonians chapter 3 this morning it's good to see all of you here um, including those recently wed and those to be wed tomorrow and, uh, and all of your family and friends. let's ask God's blessing on the preaching of his word this morning Father in heaven we need your help. We're going to preach on the prayer of requesting that your word have free course and rapid advance among us to move freely. So we pray this morning that that would be our experience as we spend these few moments together in this text. Certainly, Lord, our hearts are prepared to hear from heaven as we have sought to communicate with you in song and in prayer and in our fellowship we trust that everything you've seen and heard this morning has been acceptable in your sight and to your ears our strength and our redeemer and may our listenership at this time be also acceptable in your presence lord help us to not just be faithful hearers but then then of your word so that we might know what it means to be blessed in our deed from on high, in Christ's name, amen. Soon after the inhabiting of their first church, building the Lord Burdened Erieside Gospel Church, which later became known as First Baptist Church of Willowick, to expand their gospel footprint. That expansion included planting a church just east of them in the town of Willoughby, A small Bible study that began on the corner of Lost Nation Road and Lakeshore Boulevard grew to be an established church and built its first building on the corner of Beachview Lane and Lakeshore Boulevard. Grace Baptist Church of Willoughby, Ohio was born at that time. Both Erie Side and the old Grace Baptist Church buildings are still standing. I would encourage you to drive by both sometime and remember the Lord's faithfulness to himself and to us. Grace Baptist Church had five pastors from its founding until 1972. The most well-remembered is Pastor Gibson at that time. Under his leadership, the preaching of God's word was thorough, and evangelism was a lifestyle for all who attended. By 1972, the church had experienced a bit of a decline after the departure of their pastor, but 17 remaining members of Grace Baptist Church called Pastor Bob Potter over from Parma, Ohio. There he pastored Pleasant Valley Road Baptist Church, and after candidating, those 17 faithful souls voted him to be their next pastor. Pastor Potter shepherded for 34 years, and to this day was the longest standing senior pastor Grace has ever had. He carried the torch of faithful preaching, and Evangelistic passion and under his leadership, the church experienced even greater growth. Jesus continued to build her. So much so that in the late 1970s, the church needed more space for worship. Grace was given the land on which she stands now at this time. Quickly, the church came together to design and build with a Christian company called Kingsway Builders. And our first auditorium on this property was constructed. We held our first service in the new building in 1980. By 1994, we realized the need for more space. And with a third the money raised, we broke ground. For the next year, our little addition was being built, which is our current kitchen area. And the little space juxtaposed to it is a lobby extension. We had that building addition dedicated in 1986 and began to use it for church dinners and children's worship and teaching space. Under Pastor Potter's teaching with his evangelistic heart, the Lord faithfully filled that space too. The late 1980s to 1990 were some years of plateau and decline again for grace. In 1990, our church struggled enough to where she couldn't even pay our foreign missionaries. Pastor Potter Potter rallied the church in prayer In 1991, together with renewed evangelistic vigor, the church prayerfully set out to reach more souls for Christ in our community, beginning with the youth. The Lord honored that prayer effort, and by the end of the fiscal year of 1991, the church was able to pay our missionaries again and even pay them back for the year of financial support that was lost. From that time forward, the church continued to faithfully preach God's word, and with the same passion as those who planted us in 1948, we sought to expand our gospel footprint through more church planting. Under the direction of Pastor Potter, the Lord allowed us to commence to seed more churches throughout our area in the country with the gospel. First in Heber Valley, Utah, in the mid-70s. Then in Slough, England, in the early 80s. Then in Parma, Ohio, Madison, Ohio, Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, Lafayette, Indiana, Orwell, Ohio, Gerard, Ohio, Swanton, Ohio, Lincoln, Nebraska, New Hope Bible Church in Geauga County. And of course, Valley Dorado Church in Panama, under the leadership of our own Pastor Mavar and his faithful wife, Carol. Along with planting our own churches, the Lord has allowed us to assist in planting over 30 other churches throughout the country and even more throughout the world. As a result, a nationwide church planting effort out of grace commenced in the early 21st century and a little over 20 years later, that initial effort has led us to a network together onto global gospel efforts of planting and assisting more churches being planted. And it all began 75 years ago with a small group of evangelistic saints meeting together at Erie Gospel Church on Lakeshore Boulevard in in Eastlake, Ohio. God is faithful and his faithfulness to us demonstrated in Christ with his burden to bring the good news to himself and to the world is our reality. All of us have experienced the simple faithfulness of others in some fashion we celebrate marital faithfulness through signature anniversaries young couples that date i suppose and from what i'm hearing are even celebrating faithfulness to each other one month at a time i think that's interesting but good for you keep it up always celebrate Loyalty in that regard. We have loyalties to our alma maters, our communities in various ways, our our sports teams, and all of these are to be enjoyed for sure in common grace. But God is ultimately and eternally faithful, and he's indivisibly faithful to himself and what he's decreed from eternity past. Salivar writes on the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God means God is unchanging in his nature, true to his word, has promised salvation to his people, and will keep his promises forever. He is worthy of eternal trust, no matter how unlikely his promises seem. Nothing in heaven or on earth can prevent God from accomplishing all that he has promised to his people through Jesus Christ. This reliability of God should be a great source of comfort and strength for God's people as they repeatedly fail and go through trials and suffering. The vastness of the creation points to the vastness of God's faithfulness to his people in salvation. Psalm 36:5 states that God's faithfulness reaches to the skies. In other words, it goes on and on into infinity. Speaking of God's faithfulness to his covenant in Psalm 103, verse 11, God teaches us that his faithfulness is comparable in greatness to the distance of the heavens from the earth. This extends to the magnitude of his forgiveness in his covenant of salvation. It is as far as the east is from the west. It's truly infinite. The immensity of the universe becomes a tangible guarantee that God will keep and be faithful to his salvation promises to his people. There are several words that speak specifically of and relate to the faithfulness of God, even the Old Testament scriptures. The primary one, actually, the Hebrew word for faithfulness, occurs 127 times in the Old Testament often translated faithfulness. At the core of the idea of that Old Testament Hebrew word, is the idea that God's word is true. And God is true to himself and to his words. This word is often used in the context of the relationships that God chooses to have with you and me. There's another word used 49 times in the Old Testament as the idea of steadiness or, at its very nature, reliability. The first occurrence of this word is a great illustration of the main idea communicated by this word in Exodus 17. As the Israelites are battling the Amalekites, when Moses held up his hands, the Israelites would prevail but as soon as they started lowering, the Amalekites would start winning. The solution was to have Moses sit on a stone while Aaron and Hur each held up his hands, and as a result, his hands remained steady, faithful, until the sunset. God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness, remains with us from morning until night. It remains with us until he comes to judge the earth in righteousness and faithfulness," Psalm 96:13 tells us. His faithfulness is divinely and genuinely, and in an unsullied way, true righteousness. The Lord's faithfulness is demonstrated to his Old Testament covenant people through his loving kindness, his loyalty. That word that we often see in our Old Testaments is translated mercy. Some 255 times reminds us that God is faithful in the way he loves and the love commitment that he's made for his people as he reminded his disciples in John 13:1. I have loved you with an everlasting love and I will remain loyal in that love to you until the end of the age. There's another word that's mentioned some 235 times in the Old Testament that's related to the theology of understanding God's faithfulness to his people in that time. And it's the Hebrew word for remember, remember. The same author writes that although the word is often used of people trying to bring back to mind some idea or event, it can also refer to the action that accompanies actively thinking on something. And when it's used of God, it does, it does not suggest that he has somehow forgotten something or needs to be reminded of something. It highlights that God is going to act on whatever he is remembering. And that word is connected to God's faithfulness in all the passages we've mentioned, including those where it says God remembers his covenant or his people and the promise that he's given to him. But the most Common word as we move into the New Testament known for faithfulness is that word for faith, common Greek noun, pistos. God's faithfulness is most clearly revealed in our time, the age of the church, through his faithful son, Jesus Christ, whose character of ultimate reliability personifies what it means to be faithful. Faithful. Even to the point of being titled the Faithful One in the book of Revelation a handful of times, where he's called the Faithful Witness in chapter 1 and verse 5, literally the Faithful One in chapter 2 and verse 13, the Faithful and True Witness in Revelation 3 and verse 14, and he's actually called by proper name He who is faithful and true in Revelation 19.11. Because of the reliability of the work of Christ for his people, all the promises of God to his children find their yes in him. God's faithfulness can help a believer overcome temptation and suffering. And God's people are unfaithful. He remains faithful yet. No matter what people do, God's faithfulness is unchangeable for he cannot, 2 Timothy 2.13, deny himself. I would encourage you on your own time, there's a lot of wonderful information out there, especially those who have written well on what we call doctrinally theology proper. And as you go through the study of God himself, theology proper, you... You study all the incommunicable and communicable attributes of God. And one of his attributes of communication or attributes of his goodness is his faithfulness. And I would encourage you strongly to pick up anything that you can read on this particular attribute of God, and particularly this article by Salivar that I've referenced a number of times this morning. But nonetheless, we come to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Pastor Steve is pretty much the the, the springboard text for the the symphony and orchestration of all that's been going on and planning up to this day. The enjoyment of this day and going forward from this day has really been 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23. And by the way, I want to thank all those who have... Uh, work together as a team many who won't be able to fully enjoy all that you're enjoying today because they're still serving behind the scenes but thank you to pastor steve and his crew quite an army putting all of this together for us to enjoy and god's faithfulness is being demonstrated through them too but god is faithful who has called you who also will bring it to pass the text we find, us, we find in front of us, I just kind of like to walk through this as efficiently as we can this morning so that we can worship God in His faithfulness. In the first five verses of Second Thessalonians chapter three, we're going to find some significant verbs, one in relationship to the past, one in relationship to the present, and some in relationship to the future. But there's one phrase that stands as really the fulcrum <laughs> from the past to the future. And all that we exist, all that we, the, the appreciation of existing in our present. There's just one phrase and it's found in verse three, but the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. Faithful in the Thessalonian past, faithful in our past, as you look at verse one. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly and be glorified. And here's the celebration of God's faithfulness in their past, just as it also did, or did also with you. Clear understanding that there's something about the nature of, And function and use of the word of God because of the faithfulness of God that was ever so powerful and relevant to the existence of the Thessalonian church in its history. We'll look at that in just a moment, briefly, but if you move ahead, the present is seen in verse one. Paul wants them to pray for him and his band of gospel bearers that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified. That's there now. And I would say we pray for the same reality in our now. But then he jumps to the future. Okay. Right after verse two, where they pray that there'll be protected and rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith transporting ourselves to the future he says in verse 3 but the Lord is faithful and he will that's the future he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one verse 4 we have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command may the Lord and here's the future Here's future plans, right? May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. But again, the fulcrum, the the hinge upon which our past, our present, and our future swings is all found in that one true statement that the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. We'll break up this passage then accordingly into three simple points as we continue on this morning. The Lord is faithful in relationship to the past that we've experienced, that the Thessalonians have experienced. The Lord is faithful in allowing us to enjoy our present, to enjoy our present. And the Lord is faithful letting us understand that there's a future to be pursued, but all because he's loyal to himself, loyal to the cause of his son, and therefore loyal to our cause who are his children. The past that they experienced was a wonderful relationship with God's word. He's actually asking them to pray that they would now continue to enjoy God's word as they had in the past. If you go back to First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, let's highlight just one verse among a, quite a handful in his first letter of, of Paul to the Thessalonians, where he describes their intimate relationship with the Word of God. He finds reason to be thankful. In 1 Thessalonians 2 13 he says for this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received The word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. This word received is a powerful word. It's really the idea, maybe a dad that's been gone on a a long business trip for weeks and weeks, and his family anticipates his arrival back home, having missed him and his presence. It's growing late into the evening, and the uh, the spray of the lights of his car they see turn into the driveway through the front window as they wait for his return, right? and they run to the front door, throw the front door open, and they race to dad as he gets out of the car and they just mob him and hug him and receive him. Naturally so, right? This is the idea of that word receive. This is what the Thessalonian believers did with God's word. And Paul is just simply reminding them that God's faithfulness, his loyalty to himself, his son, And his son's message through the word did this. And so he's asking them to continue to pray for their now so that they could enjoy the word of God as much today as they did yesterday as a church. And he's asking them to pray for Paul. And I think it's interesting here that the most common word for prayer in the New Testament is simply used here. It just means simply talking to God on a regular basis. It's prosuchamon just talk to God about something that is common to talk to God about. He's telling the Thessalonian believers always keep it common communication in your daily prayer time with God that the word of God would be embraced, received, enjoyed, and lived and we'll see in our next verb be freely, be freed if you will to have its influence among the people of God. Kind of reminds me of Philippians chapter one, verses nine through 11, where Paul prayed that they would grow in love and in knowledge of that word. And then consequently in discernment and then in excellence. This is the reality that they had enjoyed This is the reality that they were to enjoy now in their present, but only would come through prayer. That it would spread rapidly and be glorified, this word from heaven. Calvin says in relationship to this verb spread rapidly, he said, it simply means to me to run freely throughout the whole world. He wasn't even confining it to Thessalonica proper. Pray that the word of God would be free to run throughout the whole world as opposed to no activity at all. To him, it was something, it was all or nothing. The New Testament stands in contrast too to the metaphor of walking. It moves rapidly as opposed to just a leisurely promenade or, or a leisurely walk. The same verb is used in Luke 15 and verse 20. You remember the story of the prodigal son? When he truly came to his senses and he repents, right? He doesn't walk or cautiously step towards his father. But what does he do? He runs. He embraces they fall down and they enjoy fellowship. The same verb is used in Revelation chapter 9 and verse 9 where it says, the sound made by their wings was like the noise of many horses, horse drawing chariots, running into war. This is what Paul's praying would happen with the word of God, that it would be a sprint, a constant, raging river advancing its way, cleansing the hearts of men, bringing men to Christ, demonstrating its relevance in itself as men hear it, are saved, and understand it, and then they can live it. The reality of the word of God running swiftly in our lives means that we are striving to be governed by the spirit of God so as to have his illuminating work always functional in our minds and our hearts. And the word here to be glorified is just constant prayer that the word of God would retain its exalted place and application in our hearts and lives as a church because that's so necessary. I think of the exalted position the Word of God had in the psalmist's heart, David's heart in in Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect and it transforms the soul. Go through that passage. Some seven adjectives and six nouns and multiple verbs telling us the organic nature of the divine Word of God and its relevance to our hearts and lives. May it remain as it did with David as the purest gold and the sweetest honey of the honeycomb. Our greatest pleasure as it retains its greatest place in our hearts. It's no wonder Paul normalizes prayer as necessary so the word will remain running freely among us. Because as it does, we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. And my friends, he's speaking to people that called themselves members of the Church of Thessalonica. That phrase, not all have faith, it's lip service versus life service. There are some who worship weekly among everybody body of believers who have yet to come to know the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in a salvifically intimate way. The word perverse here describes someone who is unreasonable the thessalonian church would have heard this to be an unusual man or woman are you with me an unusual man or woman unusual because they 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 are not having or allowing the word of god to have rapid advance and retain its exalted position in nor their, their heart and life it's again lip service to that but there is no gospel that's touched your life, that's touched your heart, unless it's seen in your life. Unusual men or women are those who swim against the current of the sufficiency of the word of God as known among his true people. They do so with unique ideas and creative Ideologies that don't have their founding in the scriptures themselves unless it's a scripture taken out of context. And the prayer for protection is against not only the unusual person like that, but Paul calls them here evil. This is the most devastating word you can use for darkness in the New Testament, my friends. This is the word paneros. It's associated with other professing believers in James chapter four, Christian businessmen, Christian Jewish businessmen, whose James is confronting and saying, you get up, you make your plans, you go about your business to go buy, sell and get gain. And yet you do it without a consideration of God and his will for your life. And James calls that practical atheism. And he tells those Christian businessmen, making all that planning, doing all that work, achieving all you can achieve for the here and now without considering the will of God, he calls that paneiras. that's wicked. Men who walk according to their own imaginations and agendas and not according to the word of God alone, should be among faithful people most unusual and at times, unfortunately, evil. People who gather crowds into their own ingenuity and creativity in the name of the Lord and yet are not skillful in their use of the word of God, which is running swiftly among us, are to be noted, confronted, called to repentance. And if they don't, they're to be removed. All in answer to this prayer in relationship to our past so that our present may be fully enjoyed. And if the word of God continues to run freely and retain its exalted position, then my friends, to be sure, we have a future to be enjoyed. And we will, and we will do that together. The key to the future is understanding the success of the past, the enjoyment of our present. The Lord was faithful to lead them from their early beginnings, as found in Acts chapter 17, when he first came to Thessalonica, to their present in ways that honored God. The key to their future, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Just increase more and more. If you go back to chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, verses 1 and 2, on your own time, you'll see that this pursuit of the holiness of God is described in the word of God. The Thessalonian people were doing a great job with that, but Paul says what? Increase more and more. Increase more and more. We already highlighted the verbs about the future in this passage. He will strengthen and protect you from the wicked one. How does he do that? Through the word of God, which in knowing it protects us as spiritual armor, as Paul described in Ephesians 6 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He will strengthen and protect you from the wicked one. And then he's going to not only guard, but he's going to guide. He says, we have this confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do that which we've commanded. And then he says this, may the Lord direct in your futures, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Paul concludes the passage with a prayer similar to the prayer he alludes to at the beginning of his first letter. If you go back with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter one as we conclude our sermon this morning, and let's consider two phrases in one verse here that look very similar to Paul's final prayer for them regarding their future. And by the way, I believe Paul is going from teaching to worship here, his own personal prayer for them. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and steadfastness of Christ. His, his mind turns from horizontal to vertical and he prays this for them. But he's also praying that they would continue to enjoy that again, which they've always enjoyed because their loyalty to God, Christ, and, his, and, their, and the word of God. May the Lord direct your hearts into two things. This word direct means to so influence others as to cause them to follow a recommended course of action. It literally means to guide and be a leader as you guide. May the Lord cause you, God's people in your future, to pick up the mantle and lead in understanding these two things. Lead each other. Lead other churches of like faith and practice. Be the model, be the example in your future. As your hearts are directed literally, and I believe the ESV has the most proper translation here, into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Both love and steadfastness are mentioned in 1 Thessalonians chapter one and verse three. Paul says here in verse two, we give thanks to God always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers. And this is what they're thankful for. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of God our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. Powerful grammar here. We won't take time to go through it. But suffice it to say, after they heard the gospel and they were born again in Acts 17, when Paul came to the temple there, and many were saved, including quite a few prominent women, the text tells us in Acts 17. This divine, organic reality became theirs to the soul that was truly born again. And Paul, Paul has seen it, this work of God, this work of conversion in their hearts that produces three things here. Two of the three are mentioned in the text we're preaching this morning. He's saying here, and he's gonna to continue to thank God for it, what he's asking them to, what he's praying for them that they would enjoy in their future, a labor of love. This is the most intense word used for the word work in the New Testament. It's kapiao, it's not ergon. It literally means uh, work so hard till your knuckles bleed. This is heavy work, heavy lifting, grueling, long hours, long days. But this labor is produced by love. That's what the grammar says. So as Paul prays that they would find their way into the love, of God, he's clearly relating it back to this text of what they enjoyed all along. That love, the understanding of who God is, the understanding of what his word says, and the willingness of God's people to allow the spirit of God to instruct them to live that word will always produce among God's people heavy lifting gospel work. It just does. It just does. Did it not for our Savior? Did not the love of God compel him to lift the heaviest weight of your and my sin and the sin of the whole world all the way to the cross? The love of God compels kapiao. It compels together heavy lifting in the lord jesus christ concerning god and then he says i pray that you would find your way into the steadfastness of christ the same greek word used in second thessalonians 3 is used here in first thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3 it's the word steadfastness the steadfastness of hope and this word hope in the grammar here is that which produces steadfastness. It's the Greek word, hupomeno. It's the hope, the very real living hope that we have of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ that compels us to remain faithful as God is faithful to his promise through his son to gather his people back to himself. And in the meantime, We abide under the pressures of life, knowing that God is faithful to himself to do so. And then he says, may your love continue to increase more and more. May it increase more and more love and more and more labor for the gospel's sake. And as you pursue gospel hope, remember folks, just like in 1948, when our friends at Erieside Gospel Church were a burden to expand their gospel footprint, when they picked up the mantle to plant, they did so compelled by the love of God, and that was hard work. Jesus is worth the hard work. The spreading of our gospel footprint, Jesus is worth it, because he is the demonstration of the faithfulness of God to us and for our way forward as we wait for his return. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, and we'll close in prayer. Hebrews chapter 12. Speaking of our Savior, we'll start in verse 1. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us. And how in the world do we do this? We have a model to follow. Are you ready? Verse two, fixing our eyes on who? On Jesus, who is the patience and endurance and faithfulness of God fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy, clearly, explicitly, and eternally set before him. He endured, there's the word, hupomeno. It was worth it for him to do the hard work, to persevere unto salvation purposes. He endured the cross He despised the shame and then claimed his rightful seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This word fixing literally means to acquire definite information with a specific focus of a process or a perception. It means to learn about or to perceive clearly. It's used in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 where Paul says since the creation of the world, his invisible qualities have been clearly perceived, seen, learned, being understood from what has been made. So the joy openly set before Christ caused him to persevere into the cross. And the joy set before us is to carry on the mission of the purpose of Christ's death. This is our future. I'm confident as Paul was with Thessalonica, I am as just as confident with you that you will, that we will carry on, that the Lord will direct our hearts into the love of God, compelling us unto hard work, compelling us into the perseverance of Christ, obedience unto his purpose and unto his call. Why? Because he's faithful to do that. He's faithful to do that. God is faithful who has called you, who also will bring it to pass. His faithfulness to us is demonstrated through his son, Jesus Christ, who promised to build his church until he came to snatch her away to her ultimate physical salvation from this earth. We have enjoyed the gospel visit of Side Gospel Church from our planting in 1948. Her gospel footprint has grown into local church, regional church planting, and partial gospel growth in and throughout the whole world from this place. From you, God's faithfulness has sounded out the word of the Lord to many. And now as a church family, with even more gospel passion than ever, we seek to continue to saturate our Jerusalems with the gospel while allowing that foundation to establish us forward to the expansion of our gospel footprint, even more thoroughly into Judea and Samaria and more thoroughly into the uttermost parts of the world. The faithfulness of God is seen in Jesus Christ and his mission, which is our mission. Advancing the gospel passion of our founders and as we do so, we will together, county by county, state by state, region by region, and continent by continent, work together with our gospel bearers and partners to plant water and harvest gospel seed throughout the world as the Lord Jesus builds his church unto his appearing in the clouds. If we will remain faithful to God who is faithful to the self-fulfilling prophecy of his son to build his church throughout the world. We will stand before the Lord together as a church and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servants. Together you've lived my mission, Jesus will say, and you've lived it well. And through you in Mentor, Ohio, who sought to live the faithfulness of those who founded you in 1948, The whole world has heard of my faithfulness, Jesus, and his sufficient sacrifice for them. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing to hear from Jesus, friends? That you literally remain the answered prayer of Paul and the Thessalonian believers that we've read this morning. A lot of exciting work to be done. But it's about the we, not the me. We get to do this together. So for today, we celebrate the faithfulness of God in our now. May the word of God be freely advancing among us. And may it always have its rightful, glorious place among us as we're protected from wicked and unreasonable men. And as we prepare our way for expanding God's gospel footprint from us in the future. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you for a brief look into the simple passage this morning. We worship you, Lord, as our creator for so many reasons. And this morning for that that, uh, virtue, that attribute, that divine quality of your faithfulness, as seen by us in Christ and experienced by us through his word. May we continue to enjoy that until we we hear the trumpet sound and the voice of the archangel shout. In Christ's name, amen.